It would help, wouldn't it, if I turn on the volume? All right. Well, I thought this would be the week that we got through this without any technical difficulties, but uh, apparently this is not the week. We've got another... We'll have to try next week. Okay, let me get my volume adjusted here. Let's see here. Nose is clear. Water bottle, glass of water is in hand. I guess we're actually ready now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like I'm new at this or something. This is our 199th live stream, almost 200 live streams. You'd think I would know how to do it. But what happened is I got a new computer recently and uh, I had to transfer all my live streaming software and stuff over and apparently some things have changed. So we had to download the live, the, uh, live streaming software to the new computer. And it used to be that when you went live, um, you would start on OBS, you'd start streaming, and then YouTube would put up a, a button and you would just press it whenever you were ready to actually go live. And that was kind of nice because you could get OBS up and running, make sure the data was connected and everything was um, was flowing and then hit the YouTube thing once everything was adjusted. And, and then you guys, it would go live for you. But now it looks like what happens is you press start streaming on OBS and it automatically goes live on YouTube as well. There's not that two-step uh, launch cycle anymore. So, <laughs> so sorry guys, I'm just getting used to the new system, the new computer and, and the changes between OBS and YouTube that apparently got instituted when I moved to the new computer somehow. Maybe there's a setting somewhere I need to click or whatever, but uh, we'll figure that out. All right, so let's just get started. So um, thanks for being here, everybody. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dansfish.com. Usually we start pretty smoothly, but the last last week and this week, not so much because of, of, of getting used to the new computer, but we'll get back to it pretty soon here. Um, we start every live stream with a shipping report. So we let you know how shipping went. And I'm happy to say that since we last talked, um, there was one delay. There was a box that was supposed to arrive on a Thursday in Florida, got delayed, arrived on a Friday, but there have been no losses reported. So even the um, Millennium Rainbow, the Pseudomilgill, I'm sorry, the Glossolepis pseudoincisis that we were worried about last week because it arrived to the customer stressed. Um, the customer got back to me and it appears that, that that fish is fine now. So that's good news. I'm, I'm happy to report that. Um, so things seem to be going fairly well. There is one issue I want to talk about, though. I got an email yesterday, I believe, from a customer who got some fish from me that arrived... I think last week is when they arrived. I, I can't remember the day, but I believe they would have arrived on Tuesday. And they got to me yesterday and they said, oh man, my fish have ick now. And so I talked to them, made sure they have the medicine on hand and everything. But they said, since you quarantine, I didn't think I had to. So I wanna talk about this a little bit because I often get the question, um, people know my quarantine procedures and they, they I often get emails that say, do I need to, to quarantine since you did? And the answer is yes, it would be good to do. So I want to dig into that to start with, and then we'll get into your questions and comments. Um, so first off, I think we need to define what quarantine is. I think a lot of people have in their mind that quarantine is the same as medicating, and it's not. 
treating and quarantining are, are two different things. All quarantining is, is separating something from the general population. So in this case, it would be if, if I get new fish in, I don't want to add them to my big show tank. I want to make sure they're, they're good from the trip and they're healthy first. So I would just keep them in another tank uh, separate from the main population for a while. A couple weeks, a month would be good if possible. Why would I do that? So when I get the fish in, I do the quarantining when necessary. We medicate, we, we do all that. But here's what can happen. There's three things that can happen if you get new fish in a tank to create an ick outbreak. Number one is that my fish could have ick or some other disease that's latent, meaning it's not manifesting. I mean, we don't see it. And I haven't seen ick in our system for, I think it's been a couple months. Um, we have not had a problem with that. We have had some velvet, but ick we actually have not seen in our system in any of our tanks for, I think, a couple months. Uh, Mandy will, will correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's been a while. So our fish, we quarantine them, we get them in. Um, we, if, if they've been healthy for two weeks and there's been no issues and um, they're feeding well, then and they're acting normal and all that, then it's like, okay, that fish is ready to ship. So we ship that fish out. Now, if you get that fish and that fish had a latent case of something, let's just call it ick, but it could be anything. Um, the stress of shipping could compromise the fish's immune system to the point where the disease has a chance to like take hold and manifest, right? Instead of becoming latent, it becomes active or noticeable, I should say, right? We start seeing symptoms of the disease. With ick, it would be the white spots. So that's scenario number one. Even though we quarantine and, and treat and do all the things that we do here, it doesn't mean that when a fish goes through the stress of shipping and the stress of getting into a new tank and learning a new environment and adjusting to new tank mates and new foods and then water parameters and all that, that that could not compromise the immune system to the point where it comes down with an illness. Just like you or I might, if we were, you know, think finals week if you're in college, right? You're cramming and cramming and cramming, you're getting all your papers done, you're not sleeping enough, you're stressed, and then after finals week, you probably get sick, <laughs> right? Or if you're traveling a lot, any of those things where we experience stress in our lives, fish, it's the same. So it could be that my fish had a latent case of ick, um, and we shipped them to the customer and that allowed the ick to take hold. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two could be that her aquariums had a case of ick that was latent or so, um, so small that it wasn't manifesting on the fish. Um, and then putting my new fish in the tank disturbed the equilibrium of the social hierarchy and everyone you know, had a little change in their lives and got stressed. And then if my fish were stressed from shipping and there was ick present in the tank that they were going in, then my fish could become the vector or the place where the ick could multiply rapidly and then spread, spread out, right? Even if my fish came in without ick, if they go into an environment that has it or some other disease um, and they're stressed, all the other fish are fine, right? They're healthy enough that they're fighting it off. My fish aren't. 
And so the ick or what have you has a chance to multiply on the new fish and then gets to the point where it can then infect the old fish as well. So that's scenario number two. One, scenario number one is my fish have ick or something else, but it's latent. We ship them, they get stressed during shipping and they become the outbreak for the disease. Scenario number two is my fish don't have the ick or what have you, but it's present in the tank and they arrive stressed and immunocompromised as you are when you're stressed. And so the disease has a chance to infect them to the point where it becomes an issue. And scenario number three is a combination of both. Perhaps my fish have it and perhaps in the new tank they have it and it's not manifesting in either place, but with all the change and the stress of shipping and the, the disruption to the aquarium with the addition of new fish and all that, then the disease can take, take place. So in my mind, the best thing to do for folks getting fish from me is to quarantine. If you can, that just means keeping them separate from the general population, right? I'm not saying you have to medicate. You can quarantine and observe. So you can just watch them in the tank, leave them in there for a couple weeks. Is everyone okay? Nothing's broken out. Everyone seems to have recovered from shipping and is acting, is colored up, is not stressed, is eating fine, all that. And, and has been for a week or two. Great. They're probably okay. Now let's put them in with the general population. Also, it makes it really easy to treat if a problem does manifest. So that's kind of, I guess, the difference between quarantine and treatment. One is just separation. And sometimes when you're quarantining, you need to treat. And sometimes you prophylactically treat, uh, depending on the case that you're in. Um, but when you get fish from me, that's what I would suggest is the wisest course of action. Because despite everything we do, and we do more than I think anyone would expect, right, to quarantine the fish, get them healthy, make sure they're good before we ship them. We're not talking about surgical instruments that you can autoclave and actually get pure of any issue, right? You can actually sterilize a surgical instrument, right? You can put it in hot steam, everything that could possibly be on it that's bad dies, um, or is killed off by the hot steam in the autoclave and you have a sterile thing. And now you can go to surgery without fear of infecting the person from that instrument. Well, we can't sterilize fish. They're living organisms. They're complex beings we can treat. But the other thing I want to talk about is treatment versus eradication. So just because a fish has been treated doesn't mean that the issue is completely eradicated. There's lots of pathogens, so many kinds, that are on any given fish. Usually the fish is healthy enough that its immune system can uh, keep a balance between the pathogen load and the fish being healthy. And if you treat for one of those pathogens, the odds are that you'll take the population down enough that the fish can recover. If, if, if you know what you're doing, right, and you're treating the right medicine for the right issue, for the right pathogen. But it doesn't mean that you're going to completely eradicate the pathogen. Um, I've been to a few veterinarian conferences now. I'm working with an aquatic veterinarian and they never talk about eradication. They talk about treatment. They talk about a treatment that will get the pathogen load low enough that the fish can regain its health. So the odds that a fish is going to be treated 
by me or by a veterinarian or by anyone else. And that that means that the fish is going to be completely disease free. Well, it'll be disease free, but um, pathogen free, free of anything that any organism that could cause a disease outbreak is slim to none. So just be aware of that, that just because we treat fish and medicate fish doesn't mean we're able to eradicate every issue a fish could have. And that, that's another reason why I think the wisest course of action would be to, um, to quarantine the fish whenever you receive new fish, whether they're from me or anywhere else. So you don't, so you don't have the issue of mixing the old with the new and mixing the old problems with the new problems and vice versa, right? And you can take care of that batch of new fish before you add it to the general population. And then you're, you have another layer of safety. Like nothing's 100%, but it's just another layer of safety that you can add. So that's what I would suggest. Now, I know that most people that buy fish from me do not quarantine and add them straight to their tank and don't have a problem. But it's a, you're playing the bell curve of statistics there, right? Um, 99.9 something percent of the time, it'll be in the middle. There won't be a problem. But then every now and then you could buy fish for me 50 times and not have a problem. But on the 51st time, that's when your whole tank gets wiped out, right? And it's, it's just the odds thing. Um, so that's why I'd recommend it. Um, I, I don't want anyone to ever get under the impression that I'm good enough at treating fish that, that they're actually sterilized surgical instruments that are completely disease-free, or not disease-free, pathogen-free, um, and therefore you don't have to worry about it at all. That's, that's not the case, not with complex living organisms. Um, it's not something I could do, not something even a vet could do. So... Um, Let's just keep that in mind. So I just want to talk about that because it's a frequent question I get. And it became an issue this week when a customer got an ick outbreak in their tank, um, which could have been from my fish or could have been in their tank already. And my fish were the, were the, uh, multipli were the Petri dish where it multiplied because they were weak from shipment. So that can all happen. Anyway, just wanted to bring that up because it's uh, something that I think is... Uh, it's confusing to a lot of folks. And why wouldn't it be? It's uh, <laughs> There's a lot of factors that are involved. But that's, that's my thoughts about it and my recommendation. Everyone's going to do what they want to do, and that's fine. And we always guarantee the fish will arrive alive and healthy and all that. But um, um, But let's make things as safe as we can. Now, maybe you live in a studio apartment and you're only allowed one aquarium and you, you can't have a quarantine tank or something. I, I get that. Although Home Depot sells plastic tubs for pretty cheap, just saying. <laughs> but um, I, I get that not every scenario uh, works for quarantine. But if you can and when you can, it's probably the way to go. Now, one thing about quarantine tanks that's worth mentioning, though. It doesn't do any good to take new fish and put them in a super stressful environment. It doesn't do any good to take new fish and put them in a brand new tank that's going to have an ammonia spike or a nitrite spike, right? So the quarantine tank needs to be a tank that's well-established. Um, it's got what it needs to be steady and not go through all the variations that new tanks can go through. That's ideal. 
that way you can put the new fish in. They have a stable place to settle and adapt to their new home, right? I think a lot of times people take a container or a new tank and throw it up real quick because it's a quarantine tank. And if you have to treat with certain medications, then that's kind of what you have to do. And you you balance that by not feeding the fish and changing the water very frequently in that container. That's how you keep the environment um, from going bad on, on the fish in a, in a case like that. But in general, I think we can be a little sloppy with our quarantine containers and stuff. And so if we have something that's well established and it's not going to go through all the variations of new tank syndrome, or it's a tank that's been there forever and has been going strong. Um, and we can put the fish in that tank by themselves and observe them in there. Then I think that's the best case scenario. Um, so just something to think about. Just grabbing a container, throwing some fish in and throwing in a, a, an old sponge filter maybe can work in some cases, but it's not nearly as stable and as comfortable for the fish as an environment that's been set up and going for some time. So something to keep in mind. All right, with that, um, let me give you a couple updates. First, I wanna thank Alexander Engelhardt for throwing down a very generous super chat. Alexander, thank you so much. Um, I, think, I think Alexander is, uh, single-handedly making it possible for me to go to the Triple Crown event in Louisville, which is actually a four-crown event because the Rainbow Fish folks are going to be there as well as the live bears, the killifish people, and the cichlid nerds. So um, thank you, Alexander. We appreciate your support very, very much. Um, this, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and it's so generous. So I, I feel like I need to come up with something special to say, but... Um, just a sincere thank you. Uh, let's let's do that. Anything else? Uh, risks coming off as cheesy or forced or insincere. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Maybe I'll compose a poem one day <laughs> to generous super chatters. Um, a couple of updates. Um, got a new water heater installed down here today. So the old one, it's it's a tank, tankless water heater. It supplies the whole room with, with fresh warm water so we can do water changes in the winter without freezing the fish and the old one couldn't last just a couple months more until we we moved into the warehouse it started leaking in all the wrong places and it was going to be a problem so spent the day installing a new water heater and then i got a message from the local high school um there's a couple teachers in the biology department that it's awesome they have fish tanks surrounding their classroom and how they teach about their students about biology is they take care of the tanks. That's a big part of it. What, what is an ecosystem, right? What's an organism in an ecosystem? What are the uh, biochemical functions within the organism? What's the nitrogen cycle? All those things, like a practical way to teach biology, which I think is, is just awesome. Because I remember doing some sciences and it was all, you're reading out of the book and then taking a test and it's like, it felt so disconnected. So the way they're doing it, I like it. It's, it's, you can actually see the results in the tanks. You can talk about what's going on with the fish and the environment and all that. I think it's great. But they, they had had some issues. So I, I ran up to the high school today to kind of help them. I took them some medicines and things. To One of their tanks is having an issue. 
Um, and so that was unexpected. Got back just in time to like come down here and, 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 and get this going. So it's been kind of a crazy day, but I did take the time today to go to the warehouse. There's been a lot of progress. I'm hoping this weekend on Saturday or Sunday uh, to be able to get a picture for you guys. I'm hoping that um, if I can get there during daylight when no subcontractors are in there working, then I can go around and take a video and take detailed shots and things. Um, right now, the subcontractors are in there during all the daylight hours and there's no electricity in the building yet. Well, no lights in the building yet. So it's hard to take pictures and film without disrupting the subcontractors because there's no light. So, but I do go every, usually every day uh, and poke around. And today was good. Today, the, the big custom cisterns that we need for the uh, surface well to be able to draw water from the creek safely uh, arrived. And they're impressive. <laughs> <laughs> they're big boys and I all the it was awesome I've seen the drawings I know how it's all gonna work so it was cool to see them arrive and be like oh be able to see it in the flesh so that was great um all the HVAC ducting and things has been put in the HRVs installed the furnaces are installed and now everything's ducted so that's that's set and there were bits of it done before but now it's all connected as a unit and then the electrician has started running the conduit and has got up, um, so over each row of aquariums across them on the ceiling is a big, um, what do they call it? It's just a big strip with a whole bunch of outlets in it, right? Um, those are going in on top of where each row of tanks will be, which is really cool because then we can plug in all the lights and everything else we need right above the, the rows of aquariums. So it's, it's taking shape. It's becoming more than just a random building. It's starting to become... Um, it was starting to see our building take shape, which has been pretty cool. So for anyone that, that wants a warehouse report, that description will have to do for now. Um, just because it's so hard to film and take pictures in the dark. So hopefully we'll get some light in there soon. Oh, the other big thing is that the local utility company is finally starting to get going. Um, so there, there's only so much we can do with the electrical and everything until the utility company comes and gets us connected. And I saw a big old thick copper cable coming out, the utility pad, uh, and it's it, they're starting to get going. So hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll have power to the place soon. The electricians kind of started wiring it, but there's no actual juice to the building yet. So hopefully we'll get the juice to the building real soon. Um, I've been talking with the engineer at the uh, data company that will provide our internet. And I think they're, getting that going as well. So things are coming along. It's it's an exciting time. I wish we were this far along about four or five months ago, but here we are. <laughs> what can you do? Anyway, that's the report. That's what's going on in my neck of the woods. Let's get in with you guys, see what's going on in your neck of the woods. So I'm going to scroll around and look for some questions and comments. If you have a question or, oh, I have to get to the giveaway. Let's do the giveaway first. So the giveaway is hashtag rocking fish and it's for a hundred dollar gift certificate to dancefish.com it's provided by rocking fish and i'd like to share their youtube channel with you here real quick so david rocking fish um 
Well, hang on, let me bring it up and then I'll talk about it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's showing me all kinds of like bands and, and, uh, the Billy Bass. It's showing me the Billy Bass. It's showing me rock fish. Usually I have rocking fish on here so that it pops up, but this one time it's not. Okay, just a sec. Let me, let me bring it up here. It'll just take a second to find this channel. Wow, YouTube is not behaving. Usually, because I'm a subscriber to Rocking Fish, and um, usually it comes right up. Rocking Fish. I'm trying, Dave. Here we go. Here we go. So this is Rocking Fish's channel. Um, here's all the videos. There's over 400 of them, which is why uh, we're doing this little commemoration to celebrate that, that milestone. Um, the thing that I think is really cool about what David does here at the Rocking Fish YouTube channel is look at the length of these. These are just really short videos of all kinds of species. So if you're thinking, you know, I might want to get, I don't know, some goiter river rainbows. Um, but all I see when I look for goiter rivers are or like all these amazing images, right? Is that what the fish really looks like? What does it really look like? Well, you can go to rocking fish and you can click this thing, this, this video here, and see a video of his actual fish in the tank. No fancy lights or anything, just him and his camera, um, no editing or anything like that. So if, if you're trying to figure out what a fish looks like in real life, or uh, just get a sense of a new species you haven't kept before, but you're interested in or something like that, um, I think David's channel is great for that. Because you get to see the raw thing, right? And it's just a, a minute or 30 seconds or something like that. So you aren't, you know, stuck there forever. You can get a quick, take a quick look at it and be a little more informed about what that fish actually looks like. So um, congratulations to Rocking Fish for over 400 videos now. That's quite the archive of information for folks looking at new species. And I, I think it's a, a cool way to do it. Just create an archive where people can go and be like, I wonder what super blue carry tetras look like or lemon Brazilian, the orange lemon tetra from Brazil instead of the yellow one. What's that look like? You know, things like that. So thank you to uh, Rocking Fish for providing the giveaway for tonight. Again, it's a hundred dollar gift certificate to dance fish and to enter to win just enter hashtag rocking fish, R-O-C-K-I-N-G-F-I-S-H, caps or no caps, it doesn't matter, um, in the chat, and you'll automatically be entered into that, and we'll draw that in a little bit. Okay. Whoa, weird, my chat disappeared on my screen. Huh. What happened? Oh, now that disappeared. Hang on, I've got a... Um, <laughs> I've got to figure something out. Just a sec, guys, sorry. Got to figure out how to get my chat back. Restore chat. Yes, please. Okay. Be in live chat. Pop it back out. Hang on. 
And then we'll get to your questions and comments here in just one moment. Oh, I see what I did. When I went big on the screen, it covered it up. It was still there. <laughs> Got it. All right. We'll get to your questions and comments now. If you have a question or a comment for me, if you would make it hashtag Dan's Fish, that will make it nice and bright yet orange like this box here. And then it makes it really easy for me to see it. Uh, before we get into the questions and comments, I just want to thank my moderators for being here, doing what they do every week and making this uh, making this stream work. Couldn't, couldn't do without them. So thanks to all my mods for being here. Really appreciate you guys. Happy holidays. Thanks for doing what you do. And when I reopened chat, it like cut off everything that came before. So if you left a question or comment before, would you repost it? Because I can't see it. <laughs> it's like it's like a fresh, brand new chat screen. And I can't go any further. All right. But I can't see Orange Cones. Hey, Orange Cones. Hope you're doing well. Who says, why do I hear Dan Rather's voice when you say, and that is the shipping report. <laughs> I like it, Orange Cones. <laughs> I was a news anchor in another life. Dennis Christian Sin. Sorry, Dennis Christian Sin. You are out of focus. I am? Let's see here. Hmm. Does everyone concur with that? Is everyone else seeing me out of focus? So my screen, it looks like I'm doing okay. Let me know, folks, if it's just something going on in Dennis's world or something going on in everybody's world. Thanks for letting me know, Dennis, because if that's a general issue, then I would like to fix it. No, looks clear to me. You seem fine. You're good. Okay, so Dennis, it might be worth um, refreshing your, your screen or something. Um, Unless everyone just prefers me out of focus. <laughs> Some faces are better out of focus. <laughs> People are like, no, you're good. You're good. Keep it there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, let's see. I see I see. Get Gills responding to Bob Purcell saying, absolutely, we love feedback. What was Bob's question? I'm just curious. But yes, we live by feedback. The good and the bad. Um, really, we do we don't shy away from the bad. It's what helps us know how things are actually going. So we don't live in this little bubble where we think we're awesome, but, um, but everyone's frustrated and there's a problem and, and then we don't address it. And then it be, you know, that's the worst case scenario. So wait, is it, I just saw it jump too. Hang on. I did that and I came back and then I saw the screen shift. Hmm. I have it on the right mode. So I think we're okay. Bob Purcell, thanks, Get Gills. Nothing wrong with what's there. Just, just a wannabe plant nerd looking for additional categories. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we know nothing about plants. So any feedback about plants would be more than welcome. The proper way to list them and make it good for plant nerds. We would very much appreciate that. Although recently, I feel like recently on getgills.com we did it yeah we added quite a few these different categories bulbs stems mosses floaters grass-like plants swords epithytes and rhizomes and then other but if there's something more we can do let us know 
Look what Zoo Only Fins. You look good here. At least I look good somewhere. Master Aquatics, just call me Eduardo. You look fine, sharp, and winning. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're beautiful as always. Let's <laughs> get gills. <laughs> Jonathan knows how to tickle my funny bone. <laughs> fine here, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like it's fine for everyone, Dennis. Um, Okay, a fish question. Awesome. EJ Fishes76. What's your typical quarantine setup? And when you're not quarantine any fish, what do you keep in there? So I, I quarantine all the fish. When a new fish comes, it goes into its own tank and it's observed for at least two weeks. Um, sometimes we take longer than that, but at least two weeks. And what the setup used to be, and you can find videos of this, um, if you go to YouTube, let's let's do it together, shall we? So let's just go to Dan's fish quarantine. Let's see here. Yeah, here we go. Here's a very very involved um, video on quarantining fish. I believe also we might have a playlist on it. Medicating and quarantine processes. There you go. If you go to this playlist, medicating slash quarantine processes, you'll get more information than you ever wanted to know. I mean, you have to go through some maybe bad video quality, bad production quality on some of it, because that's quite a while ago, still figuring out how to make that stuff work at that point. But um, but the information is real. Um, so check that out. You'll get way more than you wanted to know. But we've changed things since then a little bit. So Here's the big factors that decided to change. One, we're moving to a new facility. We're calling it the fish warehouse, um, where we're going to have constant flow through, which makes it really difficult to use medications. We can, we can shut off the flow to any tank at any time and do that. But my thinking is the constant fresh water might be more beneficial to the fish in a lot of cases than medicating. It's, it's not gonna, you know, medication helps a lot, but it's also a bit of poison, meaning your liver or your kidneys have to metabolize it. So it adds stress to your system. It makes your internal organs, organs work a little harder um, and can have effects that just stress the body out in general. So my thought is when we're in the warehouse, what we're going to want to do is put the fish in a tank, a new tank by themselves. Um, let that fresh water just flow through and flow over them like they're in a river. And I think that might do more in most cases to get the fish recovered and healthy and, and happy and fat and sassy, as we like to say, um, than using medication. So for the last few, what has it been a couple of months now, we've been playing with different things like that. We're working with a, an aquatic veterinarian as well. So we're not just, you know, shooting a shotgun in the dark and trying to figure that out. So I think the protocol in the new warehouse is going to be whenever we're going to put new fish in a tank, we, we take the old fish out of the tank or we sold out or we moved them somewhere, right, to free up a tank then we will sterilize that tank. So we'll shut off the flow to that tank. We'll add hydrogen peroxide to sterilize the tank. 
let it sit in there for a couple hours. There's no filter in the tank. It's just a, it's just a bare aquarium, just glass at that point. Glass and an air stone is all it's going to be. So that should get it nice and clean. Then we'll turn the water back on and let it run for a couple hours. That, that'll flush out all the hydrogen peroxide and everything. Although the hydrogen peroxide will pretty much be inert by then. Um, we'll, we'll flush all that out. So now we have this nice sterile tank. And if the fish that were in there before had some kind of disease, um, it's been sterilized, right? Or pretty darn close, at least. Not, not a lot of stuff can survive being blasted with hydrogen peroxide. There might be one or two things, but we're, we're pretty clean at that point. Once it's flushed out, then we can add the new fish to it. And we're going to let it continue to flush and get just uh, a flow through of a ton of fresh water unless we see an issue with the fish. And if we do and we need to medicate, then we'll go and we'll turn off the, the water to that tank and we'll do whatever we need to do to medicate. But I bet that constant, fresh, clean water um, flowing through the tank at a, at a rapid rate is going to, in most cases, be better for the fish than medication. Basically, if you can get a fish healthy without medication, um, that's probably better. It's better in a lot of ways. Uh, it's easier on their body. You aren't introducing the possibility of introducing any chemicals into your local water system or anything like that. Um, you're not creating any immunity or anything, any super bugs that are now more resistant to antibiotics because they've been exposed so many times. All, all those things that can happen with medications and antibiotics, you, you take that away. So that's EJ Fish's 76. That's where we think we're going. Right now, we're kind of doing a, a mix um, of that and of still medicating prophylactically in some cases. Um, and, and it'll learn from the system. So like samurai gouramis, you got to prophylactically treat. Um, there's certain fish that are collected from the wild still and come from black water environments and are just not used to any of our pathogens. And so it's good to get them recovered from shipping before they get exposed to the pathogens. And, and you can do that with antibiotics. I'm curious to see, though, in the warehouse with the constant rate of fresh flow, I go do some A-B tests where if I get a, a shipment of, say, samurai gouramis in, I'll put half of them in one tank and half in another tank. One tank will do what we currently do, which is prophylactically treat them. And in the other tank, we won't. We'll just have the fresh water going through and we'll see what the result is. Maybe the fresh water is, is enough that we won't have to prophylactically treat species like that um, in the future. But I'll, I'll learn what each species needs in the new system as we get it up and running and get more experience there. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the thoughts about that. Tyler Brown, cheers to you. Quickly going to wet my whistle. We have 200 viewers here. Thanks for being here, everybody. 200 ain't bad. We're, I'm happy with that. Where's Tyler Brown? The uh, chat jumped, wouldn't you know it? As soon as I said your name, chat's like, uh-uh, <laughs> it jumped. There we go. What is your opinion on aquarium lids? One person says it affects parameters. I don't understand how. So first of all, 
I'm a believer in aquarium lids for many, many reasons. And I'll talk about parameters and their effect on them in a moment. But um, first off, it makes the room that the aquariums are in a lot more pleasant because you have less humidity, less evaporation going on. If you have a room full of fish tanks with no lids, it can get pretty dank in there pretty quick and you can start getting mold. It can start smelling. The air feels stagnant and gross. Um, yeah, it's just not, not a good feeling. So I like it for that. Second thing is lids keep fish from jumping. And I've had all kinds of fish jump. Rainbows, killifish, bettas. Like you expect killifish and bettas, but rainbows, swordtails, um, pandagara, um, just lots of fish that you wouldn't think were jumpers. I've even had a cory jump for crying out loud. Corydoras. Last fish I'd expect to jump every now and then they do. So they keep the fish in the tank along with the humidity. And I really like that. So now there are rimless tanks where you want the plants to grow. If you're doing a planted tank, some of it immersed, that looks really good. Um, you can have a piece of wood that goes up and out of the column and plant that. So it's more like a, a fuller artistic piece than just an underwater piece. So there are some reasons not to have a tank, but in general, if you, um, if, if having a lid isn't going to screw up what you're trying to do, I would have a lid every time. So how does not having a lid affect parameters? Really, I think the main way is through evaporation. So without a lid, you're going to get a lot more evaporation. And if you just top off, then over time, a lot quicker than you would with a lid, you're going to get your water getting harder and harder um, and waste components are going to build up more and more. So if you have a lot of evaporation, you have to constantly replace that, then all the minerals and things in the water are not evaporating and are getting concentrated. So that's one way I could see it affecting parameters. Besides that, um, the only other way I could see it is uh, stuff you're using around the house that maybe shouldn't get into an aquarium, could get into an aquarium easier if it doesn't have a lid. Um, say, say the tank's in your kitchen and you're using cooking spray, right? You're, you're oiling up a pan to cook on and some of that spray goes over and gets in the water, you know, stuff like that. A lid can help prevent that. So some of those chemicals and things that they get into your water, um, they can alter your parameters quite a bit. If you're using, I don't know, ammonia for some reason to clean something, clean your windows and, and that drifted over to your tank and you didn't have a lid to prevent it getting in, that could be a problem. And then your ammonia parameter changes. So there are ways it can do it, but the main one I think is evaporation. Um, and maybe there's other ways that I'm not savvy to, but that's what I'm thinking of. Stephen P. 2003 Aquatics, throwing out a $10 super chat with a flex. Thanks. I, I mean, I should stop doing that. It used to look good when I flexed. Now it's just like, oh, that's all? Really? What? what? That's it? <laughs> what, what is this hanging down here? <laughs> I got to work out. Um, so Stephen P. 2003 Aquatics has a video coming out tomorrow that I'm part of and a lot of other fish tubers are part of. Uh, talking about um, aquariums and the impact it's had on their lives, which I saw a little preview of it and some of the things, some of the stories I was unaware of. It was pretty cool. And I promise Stephen, not Stefan, next time I send you a video, it'll be better. Um, poor, poor Stefan, I, um, or Stephen, <laughs> poor not Stefan. When I was recording the video for him, 
I, I had the new computer. I didn't have my software set up or anything. So I couldn't like edit it and render it or anything. So he got the whole like raw footage dump in its original form, its original size. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll do better for you next time. Liquid Zoo OnlyFans, we're busted fish fan. Dan Fist, Dance Fish figured us out. Yeah, it took me long enough. It took me almost 200 streams, but I finally did it. <laughs> Just call me Eduardo, aka Master Aquatics. Are you still shipping livestock? Any deadlines? Um, we are not shipping until after the new year. This close to Christmas, uh, there's too many delays. Just USPS, FedEx, and UPS are all just slammed with all the holiday transactions. And so stuff is more likely to be delayed. And in the cold weather, when stuff gets delayed, it's more likely to be a problem. So we're just a uh, prophylactically fixing that problem by not shipping until after the holidays. So before Christmas, you get that. And then right after Christmas, there's a backlog of packages that they have to clear. So usually by, um, we're going to start shipping again on January 3rd. Uh, by then the backlog should be cleared out and, and we should be able to ship again without any, without an additional chance of delays, just the normal chance of delays, which is very small. It doesn't usually happen. We want to keep it that way so we don't ship around the holidays. I like this username. Some dude. <laughs> I have eight Melanotania saluensis, 14 Pseudomugil, Pseudomugil. <laughs> I see that 10 times fast, Gertrude, and about 10 Okifinoki pygmy sunfish in a planted 40 breeder. That sounds like my tangy. My kind of tank, some dude. That sounds awesome. You're all doing great. What else could I add? 40 breeder. If it was my tank, I think I would leave that alone. That sounds awesome. I mean, there's lots of stuff you could add. I guess here's a question for you. Is there a zone in the tank that none of these fish are occupying? I doubt it. The pygmy sunfish are going to be hugging the substrate and the plants and stuff a bit, kind of hanging out in those areas. Um, the Gertrude and Soloensis will be kind of up more in the water column. So looking at that list, I'm thinking you're pretty good. But if there is a zone where the fish just don't hang out then it might be worth finding a fish to fill that zone. So if nobody's on the bottom, right, maybe there's some quarries that need to go in that tank or some horse-faced loaches if you have sand or, or, or a goby or something, right? That might be a good addition. Um, some stiffed-on gobies or something might be good. But if that's not the case, honestly, I, if it was my tank... I'd probably, if I felt like I needed more fish in there, I'd just get more of one of those species you already have. I think those three together would be amazing. It's all just up to the, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder. Um, but to me, that tank seems awesome. But again, if you can identify a, a zone where, where you have no activity, then I get something to fill that zone. Stiffed on gobies come to mind. They'll, they'll hug the surfaces really tight. That might be a good one. 
Hey, who's throwing money at us? Kelly Foreman's throwing money at us. Merry Christmas to everyone at Dance Fish. Thanks, Kelly. Right back at you. We appreciate you. Merry Christmas to you and yours as well. Thanks for the super chat. Always appreciated. Never required. But it does make Brenda, my wife, super happy when money falls out of the computer screen and lands on my lap. <laughs> Novice Aquatics. I put your at there, but you said to add the hashtag... Wait. <laughs> oh, hey, hashtag works too. In fact, some people have said just um, just dance fish works as well. Sorry, the hashtags for the giveaway, the at symbols to get my attention. But look at this, it worked. So um, here's the at dance fish. I see it, it's working. Here's hashtag dance fish. I see it, it's working. So apparently either one can work. And here's just Dan's fish highlighted. So, okay, can I just do Dan's fish? It probably won't pop up for me since I'm doing it to myself. Oh, it will. See, see, so here's the difference. Can you see that down here? So if I want to get my attention here, and I put Dan's fish, nothing pops up. But if I put at Dan's fish, then it pops up and I can select that. And now it's going to highlight for me. What happens with hashtag? Hashtag dance. Hashtag dance fish does it as well. Okay. So you can do hashtag or at. I did not know that. But what's just hap what happens if I just put dance fish? Just testing dance fish. Dance fish. And Dan's fish. Let's see what happens there. Okay, let's get back to real size here. All right, hopefully chat won't jump at me when I do this. I just want to see. They all they all highlighted. So apparently, you just have to type Dan's fish or some combination thereof. <laughs> There's no space between these two. There is space. There are spaces between these other ones. Um, they all worked and I didn't put hashtag or at and they're still all highlighted. So, so maybe that works. Can we get back to our normal size here? Nope. Hang on. I'm trying to figure out. There it is. Reset. Uh, reset you. Okay. We're all back. Okay, good. So apparently, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Apparently you don't have to put hashtag or at symbol, but if you do, you can select me, but I'm still seeing it otherwise. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Okay, scrolling up since I jumped to the bottom to see um, what was going on. Okay, here we go. Bob Purcell, have you ever fed the archers live bugs so they could hunt and watch them shoot down the bugs? Yes, and I love it and it's fun. I love it. They love it. Everyone loves it. So I do do that. Yes. Basically, I just lift up the lid. You can get stuff on the lid and they'll squirt it off the lid. You can even put like uh, pellets up on the lid and they'll squirt them off as well. But they get to hunt every now and then. Okay. Giggles, please see novice aquatics comments above. I think I did. Oh, 
but I, I just talked about the hashtag. Then I stopped. Let's get to the rest. Can you talk about the difference between epistylus versus ick and the best treatments? Hobbyists say increasing temp for epistylus is bad versus ick. Okay. So they're, they're completely different organisms. Um, and epistylus, is that one? I'd have to go back um, and look at my notes from the Aquatic Veterinarian Conference on epistylus. I think the treatment for epistylus, if I remember right, was prosy and or um, a formalin-based, malachite-green-based medication like ICX. The difference is vast, though. So epistylus are these um, long, thin organisms that live on the fish. They don't feed off the fish. They live on the fish and feed off the water around the fish. But in order to stay on the fish, they kind of drill, if you will, an anchor point. So they make a hole in the fish and they anchor in with these hooks to stay fast to the fish. And when their population explodes, they they just poke so many holes in the fish that it uh, gets sick and dies. So that's what an epistylus is um, versus ick, which is a different kind of parasite that actually burrows into the epithelium of the fish, um, into the skin of the fish, and insists itself there and grows there until it can reproduce, basically. So one is anchored onto the surface of the fish and, and hanging off the fish, and the other is buried within the skin of the fish. That would be ick. That's why it can only be treated in the free swimming stage because when it's in the fish, insisted in the fish, um, wait, do they insist in the fish? Maybe they don't. But when it's in the fish, it can't, the ick medicine can't reach it. And then, and then the uh, eggs, if you will, those are insisted and it can't reach those either. That's, that's what I think is happening there. Um, as opposed to them being insisted within the fish because if I remember right, ick is actually... No, I don't want to dig my hole any deeper. <laughs> I can't remember if ick in this in the fish is insisted or not. That's that that's what I'm trying to remember. But epistylus is not insisted. So it can be treated. Um, I believe at all life, all stages of life, I believe, can be treated. And if I remember right, please, if you have epistylus, please look it up. If I remember right, it's uh, susceptible to both ick medications like with formalin and malachite green, um, and uh, proziquantol, if I remember right. But I'm going on memory there. So, yeah, look it up before you treat. As far as temperature goes, uh, novice aquatics, I never mess with temperature when I'm treating fish. Um, Changing the temperature changes a lot of things within the tank, and I think that that's more stressful to the fish than it needs to be. Just adds stress to the fish. If you raise the temperature... You're depriving the fish of saturated oxygen. Um, you can you can actually create a lot more problems than you're solving by raising the temperature. Now, in some cases, it's fine, but for someone that has to ask the question, um, it's probably safer to not raise the temperature. I've n- I've never had a problem with ick just treating with uh, ickx or Mardell Quick Cure or something like that. 
That being said, there are lots of things that present in a way similar to ick that are not ick. There's over 20 organisms, um, according to a veterinarian, um, um, that, so that's not coming from me. There's a, a veterinarian that was talking and said that there's over 20 organisms that present like ick, white spots on the body. So if it actually is ick, then it, it should be fine. But if you're like trying to, sometimes we call it super ick, right? There's super ick. Well, what that probably is, is not ick. That's probably something that presents as ick and we're treating with ick medications, but it's not getting, it's not improving because it's not ick. So the medication we're using for ick is not gonna be um, effective against it. Um, in, in the worst case, there's some viruses that present like ick. And if there's a virus and you're trying to treat the virus with ick medication, it's, it's never going to happen. Uh, just, it just won't do. So I think that's where we get things that we call super ick and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, more from Novice Aquatics. Any chance you will be going live to show your setups and fish on hand in the future? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, I've done a lot of videos of the current setup. You can get tours of this whole thing from the ground up, the whole build of the current setup, installing the systems, the overflow system, the racks, the lights, everything here, plus the annex up, upstairs. Um, so that's all there. It's just older videos, so you might have to hunt for it a bit. But there's a, a playlist on the channel. I think it's called like How To or DIY or something like that where you can find all those things um, and see the thing coming from the ground up. Um, so that information's there. But I plan to do more of that as we build and move into the warehouse as soon as there's lights. <laughs> Since I can't do it without lights right now. So I have to get the electricity in and, and a few lights on, and then I can take you from there through the rest of the build. And then yes, we plan to show everything off frequently um, we do have lots of tours of the current setup where you can see, you know, the, the different fish we have and stuff like that. We'll continue to do that kind of things. What's up, a train? What type of peaceful, easy to medic, moderate, easy to moderate, sorry, care schooling fish would do well in a 10 gallon or 20 gallon aquarium? I'm looking for something that isn't aggressive or too fast swimming. There's a lot of things that fit that bill. Um, dwarf Amber Barbs would be awesome. Celestial Pearl Danios would be good. Um, what's the other one? Urethromicron. Celestichthys Urethromicron. What do we call that? The Dwarf um, Emerald Rasbora? I think that's a Dwarf Emerald Rasbora would be good. Any of the Boraris species? That's like the chili rasbor, the exclamation point rasbor, things like that. Um, pygmy quarries, um, pygmy hatchet fish. So if you had a tank, right, and it's it's ten or twenty gallons, you could do pygmy hatchet fish up top, or like a wrestling half beak or platinum half beak up top. Most of those will stay pretty good up in the top area. You could do a miniature killifish too, like applicylic. Applicylus blockii or Applicylus uh, kirschmeieri or something like that. Little pike killifish that stays at the top. Clown killies might be another good option. Get a couple floating plants there. 
because they have a place to call their own. So that's your top layer. Hatchets, half beaks, maybe a rocket killer. I'd pick one of those species. Get a few of them up there. Nice, nice group of them. Then on the bottom, you could do pygmy quarries or hubrosis or histatus, one of the small corridorous species. Um, you could also do like a dwarf loach species, like a rosy loach or something like that instead. But something small that stays on the bottom. And then in the middle, you could do ember barbs or the barara species or CPDs, celestial pearl danios, um, dwarf emerald rasboras, um, lots of stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Freshwater bumblebee gobies might be a fun thing to put in a tank like that. But I, I would, if you divide the tank up into three zones, top, middle, and bottom, then you can select a species for each zone, and you can get a decent number of them in each zone. And that, to me, is a nice tank. Something with some fish in each zone, but a good number of each species, instead of just onesies and twosies here and there. To me, that's, that's what I like in a tank, but... Everyone's a little different, but that would be my suggestion. 226 are here. Let's see if it drops. Usually when I see how many people are here, it automatically drops. Yep, there's 225. <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but 223. <laughs> Everyone's like, yo, he saw us. We're out of here. Peace out. <laughs> but thanks for being here, everybody. I'm glad that we have such a good group in tonight. That's awesome. Okay, let's see here. Scrolling to look for more. Here's one. Just called me Eduardo. Oh, okay. Telling Adam Lash how to get a hold of me. Yep. Make it highlight for me, Adam. Uh, but I'm looking here. Here we go. Adam Lash. Are there any imported species that will be in short supply due to chain issues? I mean, I'm sure there are. That varies all the time, though. So during COVID, all species were in short supply <laughs> and that's still happening. So depending on how different countries respond to the different variants of COVID and all that, um, anytime a country shuts down, then anything that's produced there is going to be hard to get. And it's hard to say which countries are going to shut down. Um, so that happens. And the other thing is there are places that every now and then civil unrest will erupt or you know, a civil war or something like that. This happens in a lot of the um, uh, countries in Africa still, where for a long time there were fish from the Dem Democratic Republic of the Congo um, that you just couldn't get, like Congo spotted puffers, right, from Stanley Pool or Malabo Pool, is that what they call it now? Um, it was Stanley when I was growing up. And um, for a long time, you couldn't get them and that's that's why they be the price point shot up right um so anytime a country goes uh, under conflict uh, then the fish coming out of there are no longer available it's hard to predict when where that will happen so, so the answer to your question is yes but which countries i have no idea which species i have no idea and there's some fish that have just never been numerous yet there's a lot of fish that the supply chain just is not established yet, and it's hard to get fish from those areas. And those are the ones we all drool over as hobbyists, right? We see the pictures and we're like, man, I want that fish. We can never find them. <laughs> those are what we call bucket list fish for a lot of people. 
<coughs> Dustin Patton. I recently acquired some panda loaches for my LFS. Bought six and I'm keeping them in a riverscape with high flow. Any tips or trips? Trip? Any tips, tricks, recommendations? Have you kept them before? Yes, I love panda loaches. I would treat them like a hillstream loach. If they're not already feeding on um, aquarium foods, like if you drop in an algae wafer or a sinking pellet or something, and they're uh, not going and feeding on it yet, then what I would suggest is growing algae plates, like get pipes or plates or something with a lot of surface area, grow a bunch of algae on it and put that in there and they'll, they'll skim that right off. They'll scrape that down like a hillstream loach would. Um, you can supplement that with some like live baby brine shrimp or something like that. But the best way I've found to get grazers going is to, um, I have lots of aquariums, right? So I have pipes and plates and all kinds of stuff in my tanks. And I'll take, like with my auto sinkless, it's the same challenge. Uh, you take out a plate that's covered with algae, you put it in the auto sinkless tank, you put in some zucchini for them to chew on, and you put in um, maybe an algae wafer. Next day, they've eaten all the algae off the plate. The um, zucchini, they maybe picked on a bit, and the algae wafer they haven't touched. So then you take out that plate, you put it in a different tank, you take out a different plate that is covered with algae, put that in there, um, switch out the zucchini so it doesn't go bad, take out the algae wafer and put in a new one. And at first they'll only scrape the algae and biofilm and stuff off the pipes and the plates and things because that's their natural food that they're used to. But over time, they'll get real excited about the zucchini and they'll start chewing on that more and more. And then over time, they'll start understanding that the algae wafer is food and start chewing on that. So depending on where they're at in that process um, is depends on where to start. But that, that's kind of how I start those grazers, um, including hillstream loaches, autosinclus, um, panda loaches, things like that, getting them going. Because uh, the challenge is if you get grazers in and all you do is feed them a food that they're not used to, Often they come in already compromised, right? They already haven't got food for a while. In the wild, they eat all the time. And so they aren't a fish that has massive fat reserves or something. They're used to eating all the time. That's what their metabolism is geared to, just constantly eating. Now, the food might not be super highly nutritious, but it's constantly going through them. And so by the time they've gone through the supply chain, often they haven't eaten for a while. And you don't want to um, draw that out, right? One of the first things to do with any of those grazers is get them eating right away to help get them back into good shape. And so um, that's how I do it. Just, just start with all kinds of stuff covered with biofilm and algae and gradually get them used to the other foods. And you do it just by presenting the other foods all the time, changing them out so they don't go bad on you because they're not going to eat them at first, but after a few days, they'll start exploring them. And then after a couple of weeks, they'll probably be eating them really well. And the timeline's different for each fish, but Dustin, that's, that's my thought about panda loaches. 
Here's another one from Dustin. Oh, same kind of thing. Okay. Um, Master Aquatics, so we can order just to be delivered in 2022. Yep, that's right. We'll ship uh, starting January 3rd, 2022. And that date's not full yet, but it's it's close to getting full. So if we don't ship the third, we'll ship the fifth. Uh, it just depends on as soon as the third fills up, we move to the next shipping day. But it'll be in January. Mario Vigilobos, any plans on bringing Angelicus back in stock? Yes, um, but I don't know when. <laughs> um, so I had a group of 136B Angelicus Plecos. Jeez, I had those suckers for, well, I still got them for six months or so. Sold all of them except for four. No problems. Rock solid batch. Had them forever. Someone ordered the four and I went the day before we ship like we usually do and put them in bags. And then the day of shipping, went to change the water in the bags, like we always do, so they ship in clean water. In one of them, it passed away. And that was super weird because we had had those suckers for so long and they, they were doing so well. So I still have the three. I, I contacted the customer. I said, look, I don't know what's going on, but it's weird that one died. So I'm going to... I just canceled the order and gave him a refund because I didn't want a chance sending fish when there's only four in the group and one's died. It's like, are the other three going to die? I don't know. But I still got the other three. I'm just observing them for a while to make sure that there aren't any problems. And then if they're still doing well, um, you know, by the new year or whatever, then, then I'll list them for sale again. So I do want to do more Angelicus and I've got a few. I'm just not, it's so weird when you have a fish that's doing well for so long and then suddenly one of them dies. It's just what's going on, right? Is it just a random thing or is the group like after all these months suddenly developing something? Um, and of course the day before we ship, right? <laughs> ah, ain't life fun. <laughs> Murphy strikes again. Wayne Petrillo. Recently, my 125-gallon angelfish and discus tank crashed. Ooh, lost everything. Ouch. I'm looking at getting into African cichlids, mabunas, and peacocks, but open to suggestions. What's your thoughts? It's totally up to you, Wayne. If you think that the African cichlids are cool, by all means, do it. And if you're like most of the nation, you have hard alkaline water, even better. Um... What I would suggest, if you're going to do Mabuna, um, you have to be careful which peacocks you put in there. Mabuna can be pretty aggressive and can beat on peacocks. And it has to do with sizes and all that. So get to know your cichlids well. Mabuna, peacocks, haps. Um, then you have the Tanganyika stuff, right? So if you're new to them, what I would do is start with some of the easy ones. Get to know those fish because... They're all very different. <laughs> Some Mabuna are hell on wheels and will kill everything. Others aren't that aggressive. And if you're going to mix Mabuna and Peacocks together, um, you don't want to accidentally get a species of Mabuna that's going to wipe out your big, beautiful Peacocks, right? So um, 
I would say just get to know them really well before you pull the trigger. And I'd start off with, um, I don't know, Yellow Labs or some of the easier, less aggressive ones. Some dude. To add on my question, how many of your true Siamese algae eaters could I add? BBA, brown diatom, algae, greed spot, etc. Oh, shoot. Some dude, I can't remember how big your tank was. But in a lot of cases, I would not recommend a Siamese algae eater because they get big. Um, I don't know of anything that can eat green spot, maybe scuds, but green spot is, oh, maybe nerite snails as well. Green spot is just so tough, though, that most fish, even if they do eat some of it, they're not going to get the glass perfectly clean. So green spot is something that you're probably just going to have to scrub off the glass. Maybe in there, right, snail. Brown diatom, algae. Um, I would, oh, blackbeard algae. Man, scuds would be great for blackbeard algae and brown diatom. If, if you're not against scuds, like, I would recommend putting a group of scuds in there. Put them in at night. If you have gravel in there, great. They'll burrow down in the gravel and enough will live that you'll get a population going, hopefully, usually. Um, if you have like driftwood and stuff, places for them to hide and you drop some scuds in there at night, then the odds are that enough will live. You'll get a little population going in there. And that's the best algae control that I can think of. And in a small tank, it's not going to be a problem. So the problem with Siamese algae eaters is they grow to four inches. They're, they're big fish. And if I remember right, you had, was it a 40 gallon breeder? You could put a Siamese algae eater in there, but... I think in a 40 breeder, yeah, you totally could. They're going to eat. They don't do a great job of cleaning sheets of glass. That's like Bushinos plecos, which isn't a bad fish, actually, for that tank. That might be a way to go, Bushinos pleco. Or some kind of miniature Ancestris pleco, because those like algae. Um, Autosynclus will help as well. They'll eat brown diatom like nobody's business. Um but the stuff that will eat BBA isn't going to be as good at the brown diatom and uh, green spot and vice versa. So you need like a scraping mouth for the diatoms. So I go with autosynclus or maybe a, some kind of dwarf ancestral species. And then for the BBA, that is one that the Siamese algae eater will probably be better at getting than a pleco or an autosynclus. Um, but I still think scuds are the best of both worlds. All right. Still 215 folks here. We must be doing something right. <laughs> Let's see here. I'm scrolling because chat jumped. And so I'm trying to get up here to where it jumped from. Okay, the next one I can see because chat jumped is Tamara Siroyas. Did I say that right? Ceroys? Any snowball or mini snowball plecos coming soon? I hope so. Um, I've talked to that breeder and I'm expecting to get a shipment with mini snowballs and ocelots and um, more super whites and zebra plecos uh, as well as some opal spot plecos, things like that. Um, I'm hoping to get them in second week of January. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. Uh, importing fish is still never quite stabilized since COVID threw everything. 
but timelines just get weird. But that's that's the plan. Brad Waiter, why are more people not importing wild discus from Santarum discus? They're the craziest discus I've seen, but can't source them here in the U.S. I don't know. I don't even know what Santarum discus is. But I hope you find a way to get them. Oh, <laughs> Tamara Soris. Sorry, I meant Sultans. I have a bunch of Sultans available now, don't I? Let's go to the website, shall we? Okay, dancefish.com. Sultan. Do I not have those? Yeah, I've got 12 of them available. So those are available right now. Um, but the others, like the mini... I do have snowballs as well. Man, Tamara, I've got you taken care of. Let's see here. Snowballs, that's L201. Yeah, we've got a dozen snowballs and a dozen sultans. So we can take care of you there. This, the mini snowballs we, we won't have for a little while. Hopefully in January we get them. And so hopefully they're quarantined and ready to sell by the last week of January or something like that. But yeah, the snowballs and the sultans are doing great if you want some. Wayne Petrillo, to add to my question, I have a pH of 8 and TDS reading 185 to 190, so that's why I'm looking at African cichlids. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, TDS doesn't really tell me anything, um, but if you have a pH of 8, you probably have quite a bit of carbonate, calcium carbonate uh, buffering and stuff in the, in the tank. So yeah, sounds perfect. And there's nothing wrong with liking African cichlids, man, yeah. There's a lot of really cool species in those lakes. Um, I would just say really research the species before you get them so you don't have a bloodbath on your hands. Bunny Viper, good to hear from you, lady. Hi, the Akai Achilles have stolen my heart. They're so beautiful and absolutely fascinating. My three became a lovin'. I'm about to double their swimming space by both gallons and lakes. Can't wait. That sounds awesome. I bet they can't wait either. And I'm, I'm glad they're doing well for you, and I'm glad you like them. Achilles are my favorite. Always will be. Hobbs, 1911. What floor cover do you use? If just concrete, do you seal it in any way? Um, so down here, I have an epoxy seal on the floor. Um, and then a clear coat on top of that with some grit so we don't slide. Because <laughs> epoxy, when it gets wet, if there's no grit on it, is like an ice skating rink. In the annex, we don't have anything on the floor. And... Right now, in the um, warehouse, we're not planning on putting anything on the floor, we think. Um, we're hoping, we asked for a rough finish on the concrete. It didn't come out as rough as we wanted. We're hoping it's rough enough. Um, if it's not, then we might put down some kind of clear coat with a grid on it, just so no one slides around. Um, yeah, that would be a, that'd be a bummer. So... That's the plan right now. Liquid Zoo only fins need to have Stephen P. 2003 Aquatics, a.k.a. not Stefan, come and do a fancy video for his opening. Yeah, of course I do. I do need that, not Stefan. I need that. <laughs> Here's a question I don't know how to answer. Not one do. What is your tank water ORP level at? I don't know what ORP is. 
You down with ORP? Yeah, you know me. You down with ORP? <laughs> if you let me know what an ORP is, I could answer that. Or not. <laughs> Rockin' Fish, isn't there a black ick or silver for silverfish like silver dollars? Um, maybe, but I don't think it's actually... So... I made a video about this a while ago, showing some angelfish that had some white stuff on it, and I called it ick. And in the video, I was talking about how the ick treatment didn't work, so it was probably something else that presented like ick, and uh, it confused people. So I have to be careful how I approach this. So ick is, freshwater ick is an, an actual specific organism. Uh, I forget the scientific name, but at one point I knew it. <laughs> right? But there's lots of things in the aquarium hobby that we call ick because that's kind of a general term we use for lots of things that show spots. Now, I don't know if everyone that calls a fish with spots on it, whether they're white or otherwise, someone that calls that ick knows that it's not necessarily that organism that's causing the issue or not. But Ick at this point is kind of like the common name for fish. Like if you call a fish a guppy, that's true, it's a guppy, but it's not as specific as calling it scientific name, right? So um, the ick organism has a specific scientific name. It's its own thing. If there is a black ick on silverfish, it's probably just a different organism that presents as a black dot. So that's my thoughts about that, but I don't know about black ick, so I'm just guessing, kind of winging it here, but my guess is if there is a black ick um, that presents on silverfish, that it might be a different organism than the actual uh, Ichiopterth multi, what is it? I gotta look it up now. Ick. <laughs> International Council for, no, no. Maybe if I do, I, CK Okay. Ick fish. Yeah. Ichthyophthoridae multiphilus. Oh. Here it is. So this is the scientific name of freshwater ick. right? That's an actual organism that creates white spots on fish, but we call that thing anything that creates white spots ick, and that's just not accurate. But we're a hobby. We're not a ha natural history museum, so we don't have to be accurate. Thai Aquatics. Info and situations change. Suggest a remake of your medication quarantine vids. Existing are great, but many hobbyists need husbandry resources, how to treat without meds. So um, once, the reason I haven't done that yet, uh, Thai Aquatics, is we're still in flux. We're still um, figuring out what our new procedures will be. We're experimenting with some things. And until we get in the warehouse and have some time under our belts, <laughs> talk about mixed metaphors, some time under our belts, um, have been there for long enough to kind of have solidified what works there. 
It'll take a little time. Then we'll release that video. But I don't want to do it when we're still in flux and still experimenting. I want to wait until we've got something solidified. Okay, aquarium cockpit. Why can't you use table saw for brine shrimp? You can't. Who says you can't? Do it. I bet they hatch. Used it for a long time. My mother would get mad at me because she would go to <laughs> bake something or cook something and the salt would be gone. Dan! <laughs> Actually, I was in trouble, so it was, Daniel Hotnet. <laughs> Hey, right back at you, Levi. Some dude. Hey, Dan, I asked earlier about my 40 breeder. How many of your true Siamese? Okay, I already talked about that one. Posiwee. What loves to eat hair algae? Bald people. Because then it'll grow on our head, right? I keep eating hair algae. I think it's working. What do you think? Um, but honestly... Scuds. Scuds love eating hairy algae. If you want a fish instead of a critter, um, then perhaps Florida flagfish might be one to try. Although mine more spawned in it than ate it. But I've heard from other people that they eat hair algae. But I know scuds do, and they're awesome at it. Dustin Patton, thank you. I will definitely try that out. You're welcome, Dustin. Hope it, hope it works. Remember, I'm just a dude with some experience who's unqualified to talk about most things. So I've got a little experience about some things, but uh, it doesn't mean I, it's the end all be all by any means. Leo Contreras, hey Leo, good to hear from you. What causes the most issues in fish death when a shipping gets delayed a day? Is it temp or is it water quality? It depends the time of year. Um, water quality is ubiquitous though. It doesn't, like, you could have a 75 degree beautiful spring day and the temperature won't be in that case the issue right it'll be water quality so they both happen though in the winter i don't know it's a toss-up it depends on where you're getting the fish from and how they pack them i suppose for me if there's an issue in the winter from a delay it's probably temperature the heat packs will give out after about three days. Um, so if it goes more than three days, that could be an issue. Although I had a package recently that was in the mail for a week and arrived in, in great shape. So it, it, it can still happen. But I would say this time of year, it's the cold. Water quality is usually not an issue for the way I ship fish because the water is usually so darn clean and the fish are cleaned out really well before they're shipped. But uh Temperature can still get you in the winter, yeah. But it takes a few days. We use we ship overnight, but we use heat packs the last, you know, three days. So Isaac Corn Stubble. Sorry I'm late. Off to detention to the principal. Wanted to ask about a pistol orange flash. How's the group been doing? Any maturing? And do you think it might be worth getting a group right now with how cold it is? So this is the best group of epistles I've had. Um they came from a hobbyist breeder that's pretty local to me. So they didn't go through all the stress of being imported and stuff. They didn't come from a farm or any of that. They came from a fish nerd who takes really good care of their fish. I got orange flash of pistos. I got blue dream shrimp. 
I got orange Venezuelan Corys, and what else did they bring me? Um, Celestial Pearl Danios. No problems. Had all those fish for, I think it's been at least a month now. No problems. So it's a rock solid batch. Are they maturing yet? No. I mean, they're still small. But um, the males are getting color. The issue with, so people want pairs of epistles, right? I can get you males because they're showing their color and they're obvious. The issue I have is the females. So the ones that are females or look like females, are they females or are they males that just haven't matured yet, right? Are they late bloomers? (laughs) Um, So that's what I don't know. But yeah, I think a the cold weather is not a problem. I can ship in cold weather just fine. Um, there's, there's ways to package the fish and prepare the fish and heat the fish in transit. So the cold weather is really not an issue. Almost never is an issue. Let's put it that way. So I would say if you want them, this is the hardiest batch of epistles maybe I've ever had. I literally don't think we've lost a single one. And we got maybe a couple... It's a couple hundred. Anyway, we got a good sized batch. Can't remember the exact count, but I don't think we've lost a single one of them. Nor any of the other fish or species that this person brought us. So I think it's a good, good batch from a good, good breeder. Kids Aquatics and Exotics throwing down $9.99. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for Pippi. And I'm assuming, yep. Glance at the time there. That's Bob's gentle way of reminding me that we have a giveaway to do because 827 and we're just about out of time. So this is for $100, one hundy, $100 gift certificate to dancefish.com provided by David over at Rock and Fish. Rock and Fish has recently um, surpassed 400 videos on their channel. Awesome videos. Uh, they're short and sweet usually of a certain species. So he'll do a quick video on goiter river rainbows and then a quick video, a separate video on um, orange zebra autosynquist and then a different video on um, something else, right? To get all these little quick snapshot videos of lots of different species. And over time, that's created this nice archive where you can look up and just see what, these different species look like without fancy lights and fancy cameras and editing and stuff, right? So it's, I think it's a valuable resource. So that's David over at Rock and Fish. Um, we're commemorating 400 plus videos. Um, and Dave is doing that by providing a $100 gift certificate to Dance Fish for tonight's giveaway. So let's go ahead and give that away. How many people we got here? We got 228, 233. It went up. Huh, people heard. In 218 eligible. That's not too bad. So the winner is Bunny Viper. No way. That's awesome. Bunny Viper. Yay. <laughs> um, so I'm happy because Bunny Viper has been here for a long time, actively participating um, um, and, and being an asset to this community in this stream. So Bunny Viper, I, I'm thrilled that you won. Um, you've got couple minutes to let us know that you're here because you do have to be present to win. The rules is the rules. But let's see here. I'd be surprised if Bunny Viper isn't here. I know you were earlier. 
Oh, come on down, Bunny Viper. You're here, right? Can Can anyone text Bunny Viper? <laughs> oh, wait. Looks like you are. I, I got you. Just sent a message to Kelly Foreman, right? So you have to be here. Okay, so Bunny Viper is here. So Bunny Viper, if you would send me a, an email to dan at dansfish.com, um, then I will respond with a gift certificate for you. Whoa, did I win? I'm here. I knew you were here. It's funny. Um, your, your comment to Kelly popped up a little while ago, so I knew you were here. Yep, you won. Congrats, sister. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, we're going to go ahead and shut it here. It is 8.30. Thanks for being here, everybody. I want to thank my moderators first and foremost, just because what they do every week, being here and helping this stream function um, is vital to the health of the stream. And I really appreciate them volunteering their time and helping me out and helping us out, right, as, a, as an event, as a community. So thank you. Um, if Punchy Paints is going next... Punchy Paints, would you let me know? Because I'd like to send people your way if you're going next. And I'd like to thank David over at Rock and Fish for generously supplying the $100 gift certificate for tonight's giveaway. Thank you, David. Appreciate you very much for all you do, um, both in front of everyone and behind the scenes. You've been very helpful over the years, and I appreciate you. Um, Let's see, I'm just seeing here's Punchy Paints going. While we're waiting to see if Punchy Paints is going next, thanks to everyone that left a comment or a question. I appreciate you uh, participating and giving me something to respond to. Um, everyone that's lurking, hail the Lurker Nation. Everyone watching on the replay. Um, thanks for watching. <laughs> Better late than never. Punchy Paints is not going next. The internet is iffy in this wind. Yeah, you're getting a lot of wind down in Laramie, Wyoming. I think the storm that left us is now getting to you probably. So <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> it was fun. Anyway, last but not least, everyone that is listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. We will be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, have a good one, everyone. Thank you so much. Oh, did I think the super chatters? I did not. Sorry. Everyone that threw money at us. Thank you. Always appreciated. Never required, but every bit does help. We are a startup and uh, we're growing like crazy. And so having some cash to burn is very helpful. Anyway, good night, everyone. Thanks so much.